Mai Govanen Melunin, and thanks for tuning in to Speak, Friend, and Enter Deep Lore. This is where I take the dense and ecclesiastical stories from the Silmarillion and relate them in normal people words to make them more accessible to nerds and non-nerds alike. I'm Leah, and I read the books so you don't have to. Today, we're going to discuss the third chapter of the Silmarillion, of the coming of the elves and the captivity of Melkor. So when we left off, Melkor had destroyed the two lamps that were lighting the world, and while Valinor is now lit by the two trees, Middle-earth is in changeless darkness. The only Valar who go into Middle-earth now are Orome the hunter, who just loves the place, and Yavanna the giver of fruits, who mourns that the things that grew in the light of the lamps are now stunted. She enchants the growing things to sleep until a future awakening and prevent them from aging. But Melkor isn't sleeping. Rather, he's doing nasty R&D projects in his stronghold of Utamno. He's making the darkened Middle-earth a generally unsafe place to be by breeding new gross monsters and calling evil creatures to his service, including our favorite flames of Udun, the Balrogs. Melkor also builds a fortress in the northwest of Middle-earth near the sea to resist any possible attack from Valinor to the west. The stronghold's name is Angband, which is Sindarin for Iron Prison or Hell of Iron, and its commander is named Sauron. The Valar call a council to discuss the troubling things Yavanna has reported from Middle-earth. She says that while they can't predict for certain at what time the elves will awaken, she knows it will be soon. She asks, Shall we then leave the lands of their dwelling desolate and full of evil? Shall they walk in darkness while we have light? Shall they call Melkor Lord while Manway sits upon Tanaquetl? Tolkas the Strong is instantly revved up for a fight and ready to punch Melkor in his smug face. Mandos, who is the keeper of the Houses of the Dead, is also called the Doomsman of the Valar. This is a very spooky title, but it comes from an archaic meaning of the word doom that means fate or judgment. Mandos has this title because he knows everything that will ever happen except those things that only Iluvatar knows. So when Manwe the King of the Valar asks him to, Mandos the Doomsman will say prophecy. Now, at Manway's prompting, Mandos says the children of Iluvatar will awaken in darkness, and the first thing they see will be the stars, and throughout their history, the elves will call to Varda the Star Kindler in times of great need. So Varda thinks, well, if it's stars they want, then stars they shall have. She leaves the council and goes to the peak of Tanaquetl, the highest mountain in Arda, to begin the greatest labor any of the Valar had yet undertaken. I mentioned in a previous Deep Lore episode about the Two Trees of Valinor that Varda keeps vats of the dew that drops from their leaves as a source of both water and light. Now, she takes the silver dew from Telperion's vat and places it in the sky, creating the stars and the constellations. When Varda Starkindler's labors are done, in that very hour, the elves awaken in Middle-earth, next to a starlit lake called Quivienen, which means Water of Awakening. The first thing they see is the stars, and the first thing they hear is water flowing. The elves live here for a long time, create a language, and call themselves Quendi, Q-U-E-N-D-I, which means speaker because they hadn't met any other creatures who spoke or sang. One day, during a ride through Middle-earth, Arome the hunter's horse Nahar stops suddenly, and in the quiet, Arome hears voices singing. Arome loves the elves instantly, finding them wonderful and marvelous, and calls them 
Eldar, a word that, in the elves' language of Quenya, means people of the stars. In our last Deep Lore episode, the Q&A with Audrey, we talked about how some elves were terrified of Arome. This is because Melkor was already aware of the elves and had a habit of kidnapping lone wanderers and spread rumors that someone called the Hunter should be feared and shunned. So, when Arome and his steed come into the mix, some of the elves hide while some flee, and they are ensnared by Melkor and corrupted through what Tolkien calls slow arts of cruelty into orcs. The Silmarillion calls this the vilest deed of Melkor and the most hateful to Iluvatar. The courageous elves stay to face Arome, and they see that the hunter has the light of Amon, that is, Valinor, in his face, and they're drawn to him. Arome hangs with them for a while before riding back to Valinor to tell the other Valar that a. the elves are awake, and b. Melkor is harassing them. Then he leaves again to party with his new elf friends while the rest of the Valar debate what to do. Manwe, the king of the Valar, communes with Iluvatar, and he delivers his judgment. We should take up again the mastery of Arda at whatsoever cost, and deliver the Quendi from the shadow of Melkor. The Valar come to Middle-earth in all their strength, and never did Melkor forget that this war was made for the sake of the elves, and that they were the cause of his downfall. This is called the War for the Sake of the Elves. The fighting takes place between the Valar and Melkor, and the elves don't take part in it, and indeed, don't even know it's happening during the action, save that the earth shook and groaned beneath them, and the waters were moved, and in the north there were lights as of mighty fires. The Valar undertake a long and grievous siege against Melkor's fortress Utumno, and the power of the Valar is so great that it changes the shape of Middle-earth. The sea between Amman and Middle-earth grows wider and deeper, many new bays and gulfs are created, the northern highlands are raised into mountains, and the river Syrian is created. But at the last, the gates of Utumno were broken and the halls unroofed, and Melkor took refuge in the uttermost pit. Then Tulka stood forth as the champion of the Valar and wrestled with him and cast him upon his face, and he was bound with chain and led captive, and the world had peace for a long age. Of course, some evil things manage to escape Utumno, and the Valar do not find Melkor's greatest servant, Sauron. In the Ring of Doom in Valinor, and remember, for our purposes, doom means judgment, so it's not as metal as it sounds, Melkor prostrates himself and begs for the Valar's pardon. However, he is denied, and he is cast into the prison of Mandos, from which there is no escape even for Valar. There was Melkor doomed to abide for three ages long before his cause should be tried anew or he should plead again for pardon. Then the Valar gather in another council to debate what should be done about the elves. Some want them to be left to their own devices in Middle-earth, but most are afraid for them living in the dangerous world amid the deceits of the starlit dusk. And more than that, they love the elves and want to hang with them. In the end, the Valar summon the elves to Valinor to pal around with them in the light of the two trees. And Mandos broke his silence, saying, So it is doomed. From this summons came many woes that afterwards befell. The elves, however, refuse this summons because apart from Arome the Hunter, who had discovered them, the only image they have of the Valar is that of wrath and wartime, and they're justifiably terrified. So Arome goes to the elves and chooses from among them three ambassadors who will go to Valinor and speak for the elves. 
The names of these ambassadors are unfortunately very similar, Ingwei, Finwei, and Elwei. However, Elwei will later change his name to Thingol, and Ingwei and his descendants will lead pretty boring lives in Valinor, so the names shouldn't cause too many issues for us. Finway is our major player. Just about every noteworthy elf in the Silmarillion, as well as in The Lord of the Rings, and all Numenorean men down to Aragorn and his children, are descended from Finway. So if we're trying to determine who has the biggest dick energy in Arda, and why wouldn't we, I think Finway is a solid contender. So Ingwe, Finway, and Elwe go to Valinor. They were filled with awe by the glory and majesty of the Valar, and desired greatly the light and splendor of the trees. We just get that one sentence about how the boy's big field trip to Valinor goes, so please feel encouraged to write long-form fanfiction expanding on that idea. Their chaperone, Arome, brings the ambassadors back to Quivienen, and they advise their people to listen to the Valar's summons and go west to Valinor. This begins something Audrey and I have discussed a little before, an event called the Sundering of the Elves. The elves who take the advice of Finwe, Ingwe, and Elwe are called the Eldar. Those who refuse, who prefer the starlight and the wide spaces of Middle-earth to the rumor of the trees, are called the Avari, the Unwilling. The Eldar take their journey to Valinor and are divided into three groups. The smallest and first of these groups is led by Ingwe, the one who I said was boring. His people are called the Vanyar, or the Fair Elves. They go to Valinor and live more or less peaceful lives. The next group is called the Noldor, the people of Finwë, and the friends of Aule the Craftsman. Most of the elves you have ever heard of are Noldor. The largest and final group is the Teleri. They are described with one of my favorite passages from the Silmarillion. In water they had great delight, and those that came at last to the western shores were enamored of the sea. The sea elves, therefore, they became in the land of Amman, the Falmari, for they made music beside the breaking waves. This is another time that I will point back at my thesis of the deep and profound connection in Tolkien's Legendarium between music and the sea. The way this is written, it sounds like this group of elves are called sea elves specifically because they sing with the water. The leaders of the Teleri are Elwe and Olwe. Some of the Teleri, however, broke off from the journey while still in Middle-earth. They either got lost or purposefully stopped or stayed on the western shore of Middle-earth rather than cross the sea to Valinor. They dwelt by the sea or wandered in the woods and mountains of the world, yet their hearts were turned towards the west. There are a lot of names for the specific groups of elves, depending on how they take this westward journey. The elves who make it to Valinor are called Calaquendi, or Elves of the Light, because they have beheld the light of the two trees. The elves who never go west, as we've discussed, are called the Avari. And the elves of the Teleri, who began the westward journey but turned away, are called the Umanyar. The Umanyar and the Avari together form a group called Moraquendi, the Elves of the Darkness, because they never see the light of the two trees. The native elves of Lothlorien and Mirkwood are Nandoran or Sylvan elves, who are Umanyar. Sylvan elves don't play a large part in the Legendarium, but the one you have heard of is Tauriel from the Hobbit movies. When Arome is leading the elves west across Middle-earth, he occasionally has important Valar business to attend to, so the elves have long picnics until he comes back. During one such break east of the Misty Mountains, an elf called Lenway leads a group of elves south down the Anduin River, and they become a people apart, unlike their kin, save that they love water and well most beside falls and running streams. 
greater knowledge they have of living things, tree and herb, bird and beast, than all other elves. When we talk about a D&D style dichotomy between fancy blonde high elves and rough and tumble forest elves, the sylvan elves are forest elves. Another group of Umanyar are called Sindar. They are elves who live under the rule of Thingol, who will marry Melian the Maya. Because the Sindar are led by these wise and powerful beings, they are a cut above the Sylvan Elves and are sometimes called Elves of the Twilight. Notable Sindarin Elves are Galadriel's husband Celeborn, the Woodland King from The Hobbit aka Thranduil, and his son Legolas. I know I just threw so much categorization at you. The Sundering of the Elves is something a lot of Tolkien fans struggle to understand. When this episode comes out, I'll tweet what I think is a very clear diagram of how these clans of elves break down. If it's still confusing, don't worry about it. This is extracurricular nerd stuff even for you super nerds. That's going to be it for this episode of Speak, Friend, and Enter Deep Lore. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Those reviews really help people find the show. If you have a question or topic you'd like us to discuss on the show, please email us at speakfriendpod at gmail.com. You can check out the show's Twitter at speakfriendpod for official pod stuff and visual aids, and my personal Twitter is at askistwin, that's I-S-T-W-E-N. We'll have a regular episode in two weeks, and after that, we'll have a quick deep lore episode about the next chapter of the Silmarillion, of Thingol and Melian, and we'll learn about how love at first sight works in Middle-earth. Until next time, Muku Turgizu Turgoskin.